Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here. Just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly. That's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And this is the beauty of podcasting, the freedom of the medium. <laughs> Gokumpa. Monkey tennis. Bring, bring. Fireworks. Don't muck about. Trees are my pawn. Monkey tennis. Ready, steady, fuck off. Scratch me! Are you being served? Monkey tennis. Excuse me, your dog's taken my dog's stick. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Monkey tennis. Yup, absolutely. Yup, 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 absolutely. Generally, I think new ideas are bad. Monkey tennis. Why not consider chips? You must come and stay in the barn. Fuck off. Riddle me that, you nutters. Nothing refreshes like an ice-cold glass of milk. Monkey tennis from the Oast House. Keep it down, love. Hello and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. I'm Adam Brooks and I'm joined by Tom Dark. Bird it. Nick Alder. It was Jingle Genocide. And Tom Stab. Death to the West. So, minor apologies to those of you expecting more of our episodes covering from the Oast House. We'll be picking those up in due course, but we're pausing them briefly for a very good reason, namely that we got to chat with uh, one of our Partridge heroes, Mr. Tim Key, recently, and we wanted to bring you that interview unedited and in full. We'll probably edit it a little bit. Um, as well as being Psychic Simon, uh, he's also been in Skins, The End of the Fucking World. Um, he's done all sorts of uh, stand-up. He's a renowned poet. Um, and perhaps most recently, he's taken to YouTube to uh, play No More Jockeys, which is a game created by him and his famous friends, Alex Horn and Mark Watson. Uh, they've been playing it weekly, um, and uh, we talk about it quite a bit in the episode, so I thought I'd just briefly explain explain the rules um it's well worth playing at home uh so 
on each turn, players name a person plus a category they fall under. That person and category are then eliminated and subsequent people must not fall under that category. As more categories are added, it gets harder and eventually impossible to name anyone new. So for example, I could start by saying, uh, Nick Older, no more hosts of Monkey Tennis, and then you couldn't name any of us for the rest of the game. And then it would go over to someone else who might say, Andy Murray, no more sports people. And then it gets, as you see, progressively more difficult. But it's a great little pub game and uh, they play it themselves alex tim and mark uh, between them on youtube so i thoroughly recommend you look that up because it is a lot of fun uh, and we do go into that as part of our extensive chat um so i always hate it when people waffle on when there's a good chat in the wings so we're now going to hand over to my past self and mr tom stab and of course our special guest mr tim key So hello again, it's uh, Adam and Tom Stab from Monkey Tennis here with our very special guest for today, poet, actor, writer, comedian, performer, presenter and polymath, Mr Tim Key. Hello Tim. Hello Adam, how are you? I'm very well thanks. Was that adequately grand? I, I, I was sort of listing all the things you've done and I feel like I've well, probably I still missed some things out. There's no harm in going through them again a little slower. Okay, professional poet, obviously. Yeah, I'll wave that through. <laughs> okay, actor? Uh, yeah, underrated. Yeah, uh, writer, of course. <laughs> Sorry? Writer? Yeah, writer. Yeah. Yeah. Co- comedian? You've got to, you know, it's, it, it sounds mad to say it, but, you know, you've got to, you've, you've got to back yourself. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's fair. A performer? Yep. Voiceover Can't, artist? What's your so, next one? Oh, yes, didn't have voiceover artist. Should have had that. That's a big yeah. part of the puzzle. Uh, presenter? Actually. Yeah. I've got presenter. Now, that's good. I like the idea oh, of that. What am I, I mean? What I, am I, well, I think I think no more jockeys. You could argue that you're you're, you're at least a presenter on of no more jockeys, if nothing else. I'd say that that's a that's a good early reassuring moment in the interview where it, it means you know uh, who you're interviewing. Yes, that's surprising that you know no more jockeys. I mean, that's that's a sleeper hit to say the least. Oh well, there you go. It's it's rising through the ranks. I'm I'm, I'm putting it in now because now I can claim when it becomes even more popular that it was down to this interview. Tim, that, that, we've that done four, we've done four years doing deep dives on Alan Partridge. Like this is this is nothing. Like this is nothing. We, we 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 do our research. We know our stuff. Oh, don't get me wrong. I know about your show. Uh oh. <laughs> 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 um, we do dive. We try to dive deep, but I mean, you know, obviously there's there's some things we can't know, and that's why we have to to bring on experts in the subject. <laughs> uh, I mean, rounding off this list, uh, I've put polymath, which I like just because it makes me sound smart, but also, <laughs> also I feel like it's sort of wasting time to have said everything that comes before it because polymath implies that you do all the other things. Is that what is that what polymath means? I believe it's just sort of like a kind of a kind of a master of all trades. Doer of like. things. Yeah, a Svengali of sorts. <laughs> I was I was wondering how you were gonna use jack of all trades and not make it sound like I can't do any of them. Master of all trades, <laughs> I said master, master of, all, of trades. all trades. That's a very nice twist on it. I've done my best. I've done my best. Um yeah. so um yes, I mean it feels like we should start with an obligatory lockdown coronavirus uh question. We we've talked a bit about um the resurrection of no more jockeys with uh, with your good friends Alex Horn and Mark watson that's obviously something that seems to have sprung out of lockdown but has it also scuppered other things i know you're, you're deep in work on uh, the witch finder as well how has how has lockdown affected your uh, what you've been up to um i barely noticed it uh, <laughs> no <laughs> we were we were filming witch finder which is uh, written by i don't know if you guys are familiar with the gibbons brothers briefly yeah, they, they've, yeah, come up, they've come up they've come up they've come up on the pod <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, Gibbons Brothers, erstwhile of um, Partridge reboot uh, of the last decade, they have written a another comedy called Witchfinder, which is set in the world of uh, witchfindery, sort of 17th century Essex, um, with me uh, finding a witch and trying to transport her across Essex. And the witch is Daisy May Cooper. And we filmed... Uh, a day. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and I've got to say, uh, on the way to work on the Monday, it didn't feel like we were going to get the full uh, the full ten weeks done. No. But what a day! Yeah. It was a it was a good day. Yeah. Um, Did they it, get you on a horse in that day? They didn't get me on a horse. No, they okay. got us kissing. Actually, funny enough. So the the, the only acting I've done with Daisy May Cooper so far is us kissing in a pub garden and then uh, lockdown being called shortly afterwards. So to say we've got unfinished business barely covers it. (laughs) (laughs) Very fair. Um, So, I mean, let's let's go back to the start and your sort of introduction into Partridge. I mean, IMDb, I know, is not the most reliable uh, barometer of what anybody's done, but it does have your first acting credits as being uh, Saxondale and Time Trumpet, respectively. So... It does. It does. As as acting, as acting roles. Um, that's obviously, really, that's a very, very, yeah. That's cooking the book slightly. I'm sure that I've done <laughs> some stuff that's slightly less cool before I did those. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, that's that's the. First, I mean, so I guess that was. I was I was surprised to see those as the first things, and I wondered how, whether you first crossed paths with Steve or whether it was with Armando, and how that sort of developed into you taking the role of Psychic Simon, because obviously you've done work with both of them before entering the realm of Partridge. Yeah, this is going to feel, I think this is going to feel a lot like a quiz, some of this interview. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, just well, remember, you, well, you lived it, you lived it, there are no wrong answers. You, you could just you lie, make it up. Know, you two definitely know more about Partridge and more about me than I do. Can you just <laughs> well, tell me which order those two things came, then I might be able to work this out. Saxondale was listed first, and Time Trumpet, I think, was listed immediately after. Correct. As far as I remember. So I think, um, so the way it happened was I, uh, yeah, I got cast in Saxondale to do a small bit, but um, I sort of feel like they were kind of, um, it's <laughs> it's like when, um, you know, in in, uh, in cricket, someone gets an opportunity to play on the Lions tour so they can have a look at them. Uh, I feel like they were like, they were <laughs> but I, I, I like to think, they uh, they were they had a master plan of me uh, coming into the Alan Partridge franchise down the line, but in actual fact it was just a tiny a tiny part in Saxondale. But I know that they'd come and watched, or Lindsay had come and watched, who's uh, uh, one of the founding fathers of Baby Cow. They'd come and watch me in Edinburgh do a really small thing in someone else's show, and uh, the way she tells it to me anyway is that she uh, she logged that at the time and thought, I think this guy might be uh, someone we can do business with. And that would have been in about 2003, and they did business with me about four years after that. So they, they kept it logged, really, rather than sort of uh, moving, moving into action on that for a bit. So Saxondale mm-hmm. was a sort of a bit of a trial for you. You were on trial. You had uh, trials. I had trials, yeah, I had trials for Coogan <laughs> uh, at Feeder Club, Saxondale. Yeah. 
and uh, and and it was, yeah, it was it was stressful. I mean, I'm sure we'll go on to talk about the Alan Partridge stuff, but it's probably the the same thing there as as happened with Partridge. Was I remember going for, uh, I think, not I think I'd been cast in it, but I went for a rehearsal. I think I don't think it was an audition, but I remember going up in the lift at some production company, and. I remember the lift doors opening and uh, he must have been doing a rehearsal of another scene because I remember hearing his, to be fair, quite distinctive voice through the door. And, uh, yeah, it's quite kind of... Um, it's quite intimidating because, uh, as you can imagine, and we'll probably move on, move on to this, uh, he's a kind of big uh, hero <laughs> of mine <laughs> in terms of... Uh, you know, whenever anyone comes up to me and says, you know, I, I, I'm a massive Partridge fan, uh, that's definitely my kind of um, background before working with him, was uh, being an obsessive 18-year-old uh, in the mid-90s, uh, just listening and watching all of it. So it was quite odd 10 years later to be stood outside a door and be sort of on the threshold of... Uh, working with him, mm. and I mean, it, it seems like um, the Gibbons brothers had not a dissimilar trajectory in that they were both fans of the the original wave of Partridge too. So it's kind of like there's all. I mean, it's, I guess it's testament to his endurance as a as a comedy character that you've got a, a generation of people who grew up on the first wave now now heavily involved in the second. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 very neat. It's it's a good system that they've got there. It's a good industry with Partridge. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, so in terms of Simon and the development of Simon, how much of that character did they have before they brought you in? Was it just that they knew Adam needed a foil or did they say, we really want you involved in some way? What what kind of character should that be? Uh, I'm, I'm curious kind of how, how fully formed the idea of Simon was before you oh, stepped so, in. So that happened where they... So so that was that was all done and the, 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 the Saxondale thing was... Uh, was fine, you know, just sort of did a steady job at left back and uh, pretty unspectacular. And then I don't know how much lo how much further down the line the Partridge stuff came. But, yeah, I remember getting a call from my agent, and I was in Edinburgh, and uh, I was sat next to another comedian in a cafe, and I didn't really say anything. My agent was just sort of going, right, there's this thing that's come in. Uh, can you talk? And I was like, yes, I think so. And she said, well, they're bringing back Part Partridge, and they uh, are interested in you um, being potentially a sidekick for him. And it's quite an interesting phone call to to receive. And uh, she said, well, you, you can't tell anyone yet because they're just still, you know, working out the the finer details of that and how it's going to be. And But it, but it's it's looking like that that's something that could happen. I remember putting the phone down and being sat next to uh, David O'Doherty, another comedian, and him going, who's that? And me goes, well, my agent. Oh, yeah. Anything good? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But sort of deep down thinking, well, that's sort of quite an interesting thing. Um, but, yeah, in terms of how it, whether it was to, to what extent they were sort of writing for me or, or anything like that, um, I'll, I'll be honest, I feel like they've kind of, They've kind of got a quite good handle on how to write for, for my guy. But I, I think at the time, though, he, he mainly just, he, you know, he's what, you, what you see on screen. He's like, 
he's out of his depth and he's he shouldn't be there. He's he's been uh, accidentally deified by Partridge when actually he doesn't really have anything about him. <laughs> <laughs> Least of all anything that would be useful on a radio show. Yeah. And so I would say I'd say it's quite sort of underwritten in terms of like um if you're writing Partridge or if I'm writing Partridge, uh, yeah, it's sort of writing Partridge. And so, and the, the nature of that that show was it was just incessant, like Mid-Morning Matters was just, and that was the beauty of it, the joy of it was it's just Partridge. And it just is, it just is relentless and never ends and would be probably too much if there wasn't like a foil to bounce off. And so... If you look at the scripts on pa- on paper, they're exactly how you'd expect them to be, and exactly how they should be. With him saying stuff, and occasionally me sort of either doing a weak joke or doing a uh, something along the lines of "I don't know whether you should say that because we're on air" type thing, and that would be the sort of ry- rhythms of the whole thing. So, um, it, in terms of how then that fed into my my character developing, I think. There was just enough there for me to to be able to chip in sometimes, and then the rest of it, I think, for me, was done by um, the actual situation being so horrifically similar in real life to how it was in terms of on the page. As in, I was petrified. <laughs> yeah. you, you, both you and Simon have a bit of yeah have 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 a, a healthy dose of deference to I, I really uh, to Steve or Alan. Yeah, I really do believe that was what was going on. I had an enormous amount of imposter syndrome, an enormous amount of I do not want to screw this up, an enormous amount of it's nice that he's asked me to do this, but I don't want to ruin uh, this guy's career. And so Simon and Tim Key were both sort of thinking the same thing, I think, uh, which is I don't know why I'm here particularly. And so um, it it felt like quite well apart quite apart from the fact that I'm in terms of as a an actor or performer I it's very rare I do anything where it's kind of anything other than some kind of version of me it's I'm not like a sort of Tom Hardy figure I wouldn't say I'm not saying that people are saying that about me (laughs) I I hold my hands up I sort of try and play myself to a to a greater or lesser degree so yeah in a way that sort of um real uneasiness that sort of bag of nervousness uh was probably what you see on screen and i was frankly petrified uh, you know of 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 mucking it up and i remember walking out of the the first day of filming feeling pretty sick (laughs) (laughs) oh god it's really difficult and and that that always although it became much more comfortable as as that uh, first series went on, it it never it never went. And um, in the second series of Mid Morning Matters, it was still there, I think. And and I think the first day of, sh- of filming on this time was really you know more more petrifying than ever. And then I think I really settled after that that first day, and that that became probably one of the the least concerned I've been. But still, it's all there. It's all in my chest. This feeling of uneasiness is all very, very easy to sort of um, reach for in a way that, you know, method actors have to sort of 
trying to remember something tragic in their life to bring on the tears. I'm having to remember uh, what it's like to work in the Partridge franchise to feel that anxious. And that's exactly... That's the same feeling now when, um, in this time, I hear those great big clomping... uh, shoes walking across the studio <laughs> towards me. and it feels like it's a very natural thing for my character to sort of go uh, almost sort of on the verge of under his breath going oh christ <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> he's gonna it, ask me to operate this digiwall again exactly it kind of sounds like psychic simon was the role you were born to play in that regard yeah <laughs> well I, I would always say hamlet <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one thing you you you, you mentioned there about how um, Mid Morning Matters is kind of pure partridge, and you needed that kind of foil to to, to bounce off because it's such a insular experience of watching him just basically in that one room. I think that's kind of why so you know, having covered this podcast for about four years, the revenance that Mid Morning Matters has with the audience of, of and fans of Partridge because it is almost like we've mentioned it on the podcast before, kind of like pure partridge. It's 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 Alan at his most sort of immediate, and there's very few other um, characters for him to bounce off. So it, 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 it as a returning vehicle for Partridge, quite a bold move to to just actually just really focus on him and that character. Um, so I think that's kind of it, it, does that does it hold sort of similar uh, um, uh, esteem for you, really? I guess because one of the questions we wanted to ask you is like, what was your earliest? Alan memory and how did you sort of discover him and versus what you're doing what you're doing in the Partridge universe now do you think that they're do you think that basically what is being done now is as good as anything that's happened before yeah it's a good question I mean I feel like I feel like it is but I feel like it's quite it's quite difficult to judge it the the stuff that I'm in so I always find it like really mad when people say that they really like that one as a as an incarnation because I, I, I I I think it's really I think it's great, but I do find it much easier to kind of, uh, you know, just sort of swim around in watching something that I'm not in, in terms of Partridge. But I, I do think that it is, I do think it holds up because the other stuff that, <clears throat> that I watch that's contemporary with it, but that I'm not in, like the audio book, or, well, the book and the audio book that accompanies it, and the... Uh, the specials, you know, where he's sort of floating around England. I I love those, and I'm and so it's slightly easier for me to sort of judge because I'm not in those, and it's that's from that, that's from nowadays. But um, I don't know. It's, it's difficult to know, isn't it? Because I have a lot of affection for the stuff from from 25 years ago, definitely, and the stuff that I used to, the my sort of gateway partridge was. Um, the Radio 4 show, uh, well, and, and um, On The Hour as well. But, you know, the, I, I think On The Hour was just sort of floating around somewhere and I, I would catch it sometimes, but I don't know, there's a limit to how much Radio 4 you're sort of slavishly listening to when you're uh, 15 or 16 or something. But then I think that the tapes of Knowing Me, Knowing You came out, or the CDs, whatever era this was, and that was uh, that was the uh, blue touch paper was lit <laughs> because then you could listen to them again and again and again, and then that was kind of something which kind of you know became sort of obsessive, gets in your head, and you're sort of quoting it at school and stuff like that. 
So obviously, I haven't watched the Mid-Morning Matters ones more than once or twice, I don't think. But that stuff, I've probably listened to... Well, I mean, back then, I don't know... Like, all the time, I was listening to that stuff and then just quoting it with friends from school and things. Uh, and then you you just had this slew of that stuff because they were so prolific. And it was all... felt to me like they didn't make any wrong turns. They just kept on making that stuff and then then you know you're only six months away from the tv one coming out and then uh another six months and you've got the day-to-day or you know i don't know the sequence of things but it felt like it was all coming pretty thick and fast and was all just insanely different from other stuff yeah i I think um i think that the the radio series finished in about january um 92 and then um the the tv show started i think um sorry 93 and then i think the tv of um no me knowing you started that september so it was a very quick very very quick turnaround so yeah it's kind of mind-boggling how quickly they 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 were pumping it out was it was I anything suppose... from the part did you take anything from i mean I, I, do, do you still watch those old series i guess and was there anything that you took from I guess kind of an encyclopedic knowledge of those that early output that was useful for for sort of yeah. now. No, no. <laughs> but I think I think I think that would have been quite. Uh, that's a good idea, though. <laughs> <laughs> I should have done. No, I feel like if I'm sort of suddenly you know bringing up some character or reference from his days in the travel lodge, then. But I I feel like probably my character. Uh, doesn't know anything about all of that stuff. I don't... I think he probably uh, wasn't that aware, maybe, of of what Partridge had done in his life. I mean, obviously, he's not privy to anything from I'm Alan Partridge because uh, in the the world, that has not been broadcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I guess he could have, like... To be honest, it's more of a question for the Gibbonses, and I'm sure they did do this, particularly writing the book, where they're probably having to just... I mean, I imagine they're going out of their minds because I imagine they're having to watch and listen to all of it and probably read loads of it and then work out uh, which how that how it all fits together. Yeah, and then, what, what exists in Alan's world and what exists in the real world. Exactly. We, we have trouble with this too. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know how it all fits. And, I and, and then they're sort of slightly dependent on the people at the time fitting it together properly and uh i don't i've got no idea what what you know how fastidious they were back in the day with making sure that alan's uh o levels stood up <laughs> across mm-hmm. you know three different incarnations of him so you, and, you know so you weren't necessarily privy to any discussions about this new era of partridge and what should be carried over from the armando years over into the no. gibbons years no, absolutely not. No, I, uh, they were uh, quietly um, in some kind of, you know, weird sort of room somewhere with Steve and just re rebooting. Mm. So no, I wasn't part of. Uh, I wasn't brought in for any of that. <clears throat> I was just there on the day to read the the script out, and then, you know, there, there was always. Um, it, you know, there's stuff that you, you sort of have a, an observation you want to make, then they're very receptive to it. But I think, um, yeah, those those three 
uh, is a pretty powerful old team, I think, because um, they are, they've got an insane uh, grasp of it all, those, the brothers. And then uh, Steve has got a pretty good uh, handle on Alan Partridge, I think, as well. I mean, another thing we've said on the podcast is, is that it would be so easy for them to rehash those old catchphrases and old personality traits. It's, you know, putting a new spin on it. You know, otherwise, you know, you, you will have... Same with music. You have people saying, like, we just want to hear the old songs, but the artists and the musicians themselves want to do the new stuff. And it's kind of, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to rehash that old material when you can do something new? I think that's that's testament to Steve and the Gibbons that they have achieved that across multiple formats, books, TV, um, mid-morning matters, etc. Like, it, it, their output is has been nothing short of amazing, really, I think, because it would have been so easy yeah. for it to be just the same. I think that's right. I feel like, yeah, it's it's finding a balance. I'm sure that they they probably are constantly finding this where... You want stuff that's very, very Alan. And I mean, um, just in terms of being privy to conversations and, you know, meetings and things, I think Alan is probably the main adjective that's, that's, uh, that floats around in those things. And uh, Steve is kind of the high priest of Alan. Uh, they've got a good handle on Alan. I haven't got a bad handle on Alan, and obviously you two will have got an amazing handle on Alan. But it's quite good that they've got Steve there as the ultimate Alan arbiter who it goes through him as a sort of um, as a last thing, even though he's heavily involved with writing it with them and stuff like that. When it comes to being on set, it goes through him one final time. So there's no chance really of anything un-Alan happening. But yeah, it's that balance between making sure Alan is doing stuff where as a fan watching, you're thinking that's good stuff. That's exactly what Alan would do. Or that's exactly what Alan would eat. Or that's exactly the kind of magazine Alan would flip through without ever kind of resorting back to suddenly there's a big plate or something and it's like mm. a, a, a nice nod to something from a different series. You know, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do that loads in the book. But I feel like when it's not... I, th- I think the book is a real kind of... Uh, there's tons of stuff for the fans and, and stuff where, you know, it's it's even names that you'd forgotten or, you know, uh, anect- stuff that's happened on the TV that's being told as an anecdote is very good fun. Um, but I think it, when they're making the new stuff, I think you just have a sort of walking, talking Alan and just sort of stick to stick things to him that are sort of new, I think. It feels like it's it's he's endured as a character so much because they're really smart at telling the difference between what is what's an Alan characteristic that a fan could guess or a fan could write, and what's an Alan characteristic that nobody's ever thought about before. Right. Well, yeah. the, there's a, a good example I think is when he came back and he had his glasses around his neck on a chain, and I remember seeing that for the first time and just thinking, that is perfect, Alan, and that's an Alan who's like. 20 years older and you know I think that's kind of the point with Alan is um I don't know like he's he's just kind of so uh sort of strong-minded and so clear in his choices that he makes and it's just insane how many of them are wrong (laughs) (laughs) absolutely 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, I mean, we've been talking about the two different eras of Partridge as, as if you're a newcomer to it. But, I mean, you've, you've been you've been playing the role of Simon for a decade now. Um, I wondered, as that role's continued, we've obviously started to learn a little bit more about Simon's life. So there's, you know, the references to his adoption, his relationship with <laughs> Lucy in this time. Um, I wondered how much of a how much of a full backstory for Simon exists somewhere or are these just details that are added to the script as, as we go along? I mean, is there is there a piece of paper somewhere that, that has all of his movements up to and including his time with Alan, or, or is it not that, that fully fleshed out? Oh, it's very good. The Simon dossier. <laughs> mm. um, no, I don't think there is. I think... I, don't, I just don't think he's got that much about him. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he's... I don't... There's, there's not really... He's so sort of, you know, steady and kind of vanilla and kind of unexceptional that I think uh, a moment where he's kind of able to just sort of really surprise people or, I mean, I can sort of see it, you know, in 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 this time or something like that. They, I'm, I'm sure I can, can sort of imagine him doing something and someone else normal, i.e. not Alan, could sort of uh, see a side of him that Alan would never really have noticed or something like that. But... I don't know, in a way it doesn't really, I don't know, it doesn't really need that. I think he's sort of, there's so many kind of eccentric people that he sort of surrounds himself with. And there's just this one person in the middle who's, (laughs) I don't know, I mean, I just find it funny that it, you know, he's... There's not there's not tons going on with him. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it it almost kind of highlights the vanillaness of of Simon, I guess. That when he does start to show a little bit more depth, or like for example, the story where he starts talking about trying to meet his his biological parents, that it's cut off immediately anyway. So even if there was an avenue out of the vanilla for Simon, it's cut off by Alan because it's it's getting in the way of Alan's agenda. So you're never gonna you're never gonna see it. 
I know. So I guess that part of the humour of the character is the the just sort of mind-boggling what where has Alan's faith in this guy come from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he talks about, you know, going to the pub and stuff and saying, this guy was electric. And you just can't... Um, you can't picture that scenario, really. Uh, par- partly because my guy doesn't have enough about him to command a pub table and, <laughs> you know, slam down the next round of drinks and say something cheeky and they're, in, they're on again to the next 20 minutes of, you know, howling with laughter. You can't really imagine that, but also you'd think Alan would shut down anything where the, the, his drinking companion isn't just listening to his stories. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, but also it's, it, it highlights a trait of Alan's because Alan's got previous in this regard for, um, for for promising a slot to Max Beasley and Cheeky Monkey on Know Me, Knowing You. So he's it's not the first time he's sort of seen a kind of a sort of an average guy or a kind of an uh, you know a sort of a, 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 an entry level entertainer and thought this guy's got a huge promise. I'm going to give him a massive break. Yeah, he did it in um, <clears throat> he did it in the radio show as well. The Jewish comedian. <clears throat> the Jewish comedian. Yeah, you were mm. so funny last night. <laughs> <laughs> He's a bad judge, I think. Yeah. Um, on on the whole, um, of more or less everything. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but sort of one of the enduring things about him is that um, it, you know there is something funny even about that. You kind of are thinking that there's a whole kind of um, image there that it draws where you're. <clears throat> You're in a comedy club. You're thinking about this comedy club. You're thinking about this guy who clearly is bad. And you're wondering what the reaction of the room was and whether it is sort of pin drop silence and Alan, just in his own little world, just chuckling away at this guy, thinking, this guy is fantastic. He's got a sort of, you know, element of wanting to be loved and stuff like that. But he really he really is a, a completely loose cannon who will just sort of... Um, have his own have his own very very firmly held views on things, which uh, you know invariably, uh, you know, sort of completely unfathomable. <laughs> and I think that Simon fits very neatly into that. I mean, he's literally like you know gone through the papers with this guy in the pub and just thought this guy should be on my radio show. And it's not the the joke I think in a lot of sitcoms would be. Uh, he then regrets it. <laughs> mm. But instead, it's this constant, you know, dialogue and this kind of, every time, this kind of really anxious feeling from part and watching it of him thinking, do well, please do as well as uh, eight years ago in the pub. Please find that from somewhere. <clears throat> you see that in and, this and, time, definitely, at the DigiWall. Like, you really see that. Some of those sort of excruciating ex- exchanges where it goes wrong, you, you can see Alan wants it to go well. Now, that could be arguably because he just wants it to go well for his own benefit, but if Simon does well, Alan does well. So, Well, also, there's this inexplicable thing, which I think that they all find quite amusing as well, which is there isn't, there isn't anything in this time where anything is explained as to why I'm on there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, you're, you're, you're led to believe that the fictional producers of this time have put Alan on, and then Alan has gone to a meeting somewhere and said, now there's one other... Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. There's one other. There's one other condition here. I've got a guy who, frankly, excuse my language, is ruddy fantastic, and they and they, and they haven't done their checks, and they haven't, you know, watched his uh, internet radio show to check what the hell he's talking about, and they've just signed this guy up. So I mean, I'm sure that as the producers are watching this show, <laughs> I don't understand why we've got this guy doing this. And my guy shouldn't be there. <laughs> and the, the 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 bigger the show, the the more he shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess yes. Yeah, so he's, he's sort of travelled with Alan through Mid Morning Matters and Alpha Papa and, and now this time. Um, yeah, I mean, it does seem like uh, again, Alan's got previous for taking people with him. Doesn't necessarily want the best man for the job, but wants the most familiar. Uh, and yeah. that's how that's how um, Michael ends up running security at Shape, I guess, as well. You know, not the best security guard, but <laughs> a known a known presence, someone that Alan's got some control over, I guess. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, talking about the difference between Mid Morning Matters, Alpha Papa, and this time. Was there, I mean, obviously they're all very different properties and that's one of the great things about Alan is moving through all these different media. But um, how are the experiences of making them different from each other? Was was it kind of, was one particularly big on time pressure? Did one have more room for improv or, you know, kind of how did, how did the sort of the partridge machine work differently when making a film to making BBC One TV show to making a web series? Oh, right. Well, um, well... The film you have more you have less time obviously because it's a a bigger sort of machine um, and I suppose on paper mid morning matters you should have more time because the setup is so um, you know simple it's just two two fixed cameras but <clears throat> you know the nuances of the the working day and in, in terms of there's there's rewriting and things I, I suppose the you, you do have more time, but I suppose that the work fills the time you've got. And so a lot of that time is used to uh, sharpen scripts and things like that, or even to just, you know, get rid of something and and, and rewrite. So that was happening quite a lot on, on Mid Morning Matters. And, yeah, like I said, the first, the first day of this time, I thought maybe, um, because it's a bigger, a bigger thing than mid, the Mid Morning Matters... Um, I was kind of quite sort of pleasantly surprised at how um, I would say it's the one I I think it's the one I enjoyed most actually and and I th- I think I don't know why that is maybe a certain I don't know actually no idea but but it, that, that's definitely the one where there was the most improvisation I think and by improvisation I don't really mean <clears throat> you know throwing in a massive curveball or anything like that I feel like because I don't think that that is my role. I feel like the whole point of my guy is to serve Partridge as he just moves through into his next bit of the show. It's just sort of, I'm there just to kind of, um, again, like be a foil as he kind of, um, uh, as things fall ar- fall apart around him and stuff like that. But even so, I found it really enjoyable that the kind of, you know, very small, you know, noises and, you know, the the sort of, minutiae of 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 having those exchanges with steve was was really enjoyable i thought and um i don't know maybe because there's a maybe because the scenario is higher stakes there's a there's a camera on us and it's uh the the conceit is that it's live and it's got a big audience and the nervousness and anxiety that we talked about before is all there 
and um yeah i don't know i i found it kind of quite those little kind of three or four minute little uh dances i found them quite enjoyable so yeah they're, they're all quite different i think um but yeah i mean I, I guess there's also an element of kind of enjoying the one that you're on the most and i suppose there's also an element of you know it's a slightly different thing to walk in and be acting alongside your hero you know to 10 years ago so just kind of going to work and doing um working with someone who you know you obviously work with for a long time now and do, do you mm-hmm. think maybe it's it's partly because you have been playing that character for 10 years now so there is that familiarity with it you said that kind of nervousness never really goes away but you've had 10 years to be with this character now so the most recent the most recent thing is probably going to be the most enjoyable because of that familiarity with the character do you think there's that and and also i suppose there's also i guess you can't really underestimate the um the random factor of the digiwall <laughs> <laughs> which keeps you sharp certainly uh i mean the digiwall is a nightmare and that that flows into the uh acting the person who's having a nightmare with technology quite well so that was quite easy it's to a, act against then. Uh, it would definitely would have been more difficult to act that I could use. The <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the question that it, the most important question I think we have here, and, and 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 something that's you know we really want to dig deep on is is the thing that everyone talks about. It's Psychic Simon's fashion choices, his t-shirts. How many of those t-shirts are yours? One. <laughs> Which one? Oh God. There was the one where he has a he has a map on his shirt, which is a particular favourite of mine. mine. Not yours. Not, mine. not yours. Next. <laughs> There's one with an owl pun that doesn't work on it. That's mine. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> That's um, mine. What's the what, what's? I mean, I, I don't know. Are these presumably they're chosen by by a, a wardrobe person? But is there a criteria? Is there something that makes a t-shirt Simon appropriate? Well, I mean, you know. You go quite deep on Partridge. It doesn't seem like it's, it's going to be beyond you to get her on. No, it's a very it's a very delicate thing. You know, all of that, all of that stuff. You know, when you come into it, that all of that stuff is all sort of up and running, and uh, there's a lot of thought, obviously, that goes into Alan's stuff, um, but obviously a similar amount of thought goes into, um, you know, Lynn or Michael or you know whoever. So yeah, I have no idea how they made all those choices because. <laughs> They'd have seen a script, I guess, of Mid Morning Matters before they started making those choices. But I mean, I think the idea is just, broadly speaking, somewhere in between unexceptional and naff. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I'd sometimes wear my own jeans and stuff like that. But you know, even that is a bit of taking a bit of a liberty because I think his jeans are even naff for them. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't wear. I'm not wearing nice jeans. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but this guy is. If I'm wearing stuff that they've picked out, it's naffer. I, I, I and then there's often a his his sort of calling card. He doesn't mind a a, sh- a, a shirt over a t-shirt, which is mm-hmm. not necessarily my mo. 
I, I remember, um, I can't remember what it was, I think it might have been an outtake or just a, a behind-the-scenes clip of, of Steve during Mid-Morning Matters with his feet up on the desk and he, he requests a change of socks because the socks that he's wearing are not Alan socks. Alan wouldn't be wearing oh, no. those kind of socks. So, he's, so he, he says to someone off screen, can I get a different pair of socks? Because I don't think Alan would be wearing these socks. So that level yeah. of attention to detail goes into Alan, obviously, but then I imagine it goes into all the characters. Yeah, I think it does. I think there's a lot of that going around. Um, I think probably in terms of the detail of costumes, uh, once it gets to socks, uh, I think Simon is pretty safe in most socks. Right, okay. um, but then again, it's probably fair to say if, if, if Simon puts his feet up on a desk, then... You know, you have to remember these people are these people are good at their jobs. You know, all the different departments, and uh, there would definitely be, you know, when it's when it's your job to dress these people, mm. they'll be looking at those socks, thinking they're not the socks I gave him earlier. <laughs> In any job you go to, you always are given socks. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're spotted as wearing both. your own socks, they're going to think you're a prima donna. This guy's not won't take yeah. order. Like, get him off the set. He doesn't take his sock yeah. game seriously. I'm trying to think if I mean Simon's might have been naff socks. I mean, obviously, usually when you're given socks for most jobs, that they, they tend to be like uh, just a pair of socks. <laughs> yeah. um, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, I mean you know Simon seems like the kind of guy who wouldn't be afraid of a Homer Simpson sock. Yeah, definitely, I agree. Yeah, or uh, socks for each day of the week, but wearing them on the wrong days, just to be arch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, left, left and right, same principle. Tim, you can mm-hmm. ha- if you if you play Simon again, you can have that one. We'll let you have that one. I'll go. <laughs> I'll go ahead. I'll just empty a bin bag on my first day. <laughs> um, so I mean, we've kind of spoken about past Alan and you know the the, the eras and the transition of, of of kind of how Alan has developed and what's stayed with the character and what's kind of been left behind a little bit. Do you think? I mean, we've kind of touched on you not thinking there's particularly much depth to Simon. Do you, do you think there's been? Do you think there's kind of been any evolution in him as a character, or he's changed? You, and his relation to Alan, I guess, like him coming in from the beginning, like why am I here? Is he actually a little bit more confident in this time, but it still goes wrong? Like, do you think there has been any kind of evolution with him? Yeah, I feel like um, I need to talk to the Gibbons about this because. Uh, I don't want them listening to this podcast, and the main thing I keep saying is that my character lacks any depth. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my words. I say I said that, so they can be mad at us. Well, I totally agree. But I think they do. Um, no, I feel like um, I feel like he's just been swept along. But you know, in this guy's, I mean, it's it's almost a definition of shirt tails. What Simon has done. I mean, he is um, at heart a lab technician. So, I mean, I don't know if he's still keeping that up or whether he's now... Uh, I mean, it is, in a way, it's quite an interesting thing to happen to you to to suddenly be on, effectively, the one show and, in other news, no interest at all about being on the one show. Mm. I mean, the, the guy is... I think, I think the guy rolls with the punches, to be fair. Uh, in terms of what else is happening in his life, um, no, I don't... I don't know. I mean, there was like a sort of moment of uh, a suggestion that maybe he, there was something going on between him and and one of the people on set. Yeah. At the very least, the Doctor Who podcast. Yeah. Something <laughs> where we've been talking, something where you, you think maybe this guy, 
talks to someone over a styrofoam cup at some point. But um, no, other than that, uh, I don't know. Maybe these, maybe in, in, in the next incarnation, there'll be some kind of, you know, heavy hitting, you know, some, some TV shows just go and follow one character, a different character, some, one episode, don't they? You're looking for a spin-off. That's what I'm hearing. (laughs) (laughs) One episode. Uh, I mean, that that kind of brings... Sidekick Simon, without Partridge there, would be, I would say, almost impossible to watch. (laughs) It's sort of like... It's kind of like if Garth from Wayne's World had his own show. I think it might be more difficult to watch than that. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, on that note, we should get to. We've, you've kindly said we can ask a few questions from listeners and uh, yeah. and, and stuff as well. But before we get to that, um, what's what's next for Psychic Simon? Um, I appreciate there's probably a level of secrecy around this, but there's been talk of a second series of this time being in the pipeline. Uh, do are you able to say whether Simon is back for that, or are there other Partridge projects you're in the frame for, or is it all very much under wraps at the moment or I unknown? <laughs> I don't know actually. Very diplomatic. I mean, I, you, know, diplomatic. <laughs> you hear these things, don't you? You certainly I'm sure do. Be, I'm sure they've got something up their sleeve, these guys. And is, is this a character uh, that you really, you know, you, you'd love to carry on playing? Do you have a lot of affection for, for, for Simon? And one of those things is like, as long as there's Partridge and a need for Simon, like your willingness and excitement for him? Yeah. I mean, I reckon. The, the thing is, it's, it's almost... Um, it's like a it's like a no brainer where you kind of think, um, this like all of the the scripts for everything I've done with Partridge have just been all kind of impeccable. Mm-hmm. I feel like if they brought back Partridge, and the writing had been terrible, and I'm reading it thinking, oh Christ, this is going to be a disaster. I think, to be fair, I'm still saying yes. I think it's like, I think it's impossible to not say yes because um not that i am necessarily ever likely to meet my 16 year old self i think that would be a big problem if i met my 16 year old self and his main thing is i'm sorry you turned what down (laughs) (laughs) and then once you're doing it you know then you've got a bunch of um well like i say i I really the, the last thing i did with it was my favorite so and also all the kind of cliches of the, you know, the family. You know, that's what people say, isn't it? When there's a, an award or something, they say, you know, we're like a family. I wouldn't say we are like a family, but uh, it's always enjoyable to go back and, you know, I really like Steve and the writers are, are fantastic. And, um, yeah, crucially, the scripts are really good. So, yeah, I think I can't really imagine a bit where you, you sort of go, I, don't, I, I think I'm out. Uh, it's like um i'm sure there's a i'm sure there must be an example of a footballer who says you know eric Cantona. yeah actually to be fair i think anelka might have done that once or twice with some bigger clubs and maybe his his big country as well where uh i sort of yeah i feel like it would be (laughs) it would be quite an insane uh, chapter in my life, <laughs> the bit where I say, 
you know what, guys? <laughs> I think I've got bigger fish to fry. <laughs> um, but then again, you know, hopefully I will have, yeah. and I can get rid. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so we'll so we'll wrap up with a couple of listener questions. Um, I think um, we've got one from Elliot Mayer here. So we've kind of covered this. The question is, what's your favourite partridge moment or era? We've kind of covered your sort of favourite era. But uh, is there a sort of moment or scene or guest on one of the? early radio series that was the thing that you quoted the most, the thing that you found the funniest or that you remember? I mean, that could be a scene from the later sitcom era as well. well I would say, I mean, almost all of that radio show, but I mean, um, you know, there, there was there's a line that me and my, my main uh, partridge friend in arms at sixth form, we used to say who are the bishops quite a lot which is a reference to the uh hostages in the radio show the kind of um uh the people have been sort of locked to each other yeah. and have, there's more time because they've fallen yeah. out and uh i think at one point partridge uh calls them uh pawns in a game of cruel chess <laughs> and then there's a big pause and then uh <laughs> they might have even moved on a bit, and then Partridge says, "Who are the bishops?" <laughs> uh, so I would say maybe those two. Uh, hang on, I think he's called Phil Collins, isn't he? That guy. Yes, yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But actually, it, that's kind of got that's the the most um, in terms of like formative Partridge stuff. But I would say in terms of just one that I would go back to and just watch if I'm watching. If I'm taking one half hour of Partridge, I think it probably would be one of the episodes of uh, I'm Alan Partridge, series one, I would imagine. Maybe the one with um, maybe the one with the angry farmers in, so you get you get a bit of Chris Morris there as yep. well. Mm, lovely. Um, Tom, I'm going to skip to the end because I've just spotted my favourite question and I'm aware we're a bit tight okay, of time. Um, Patrick Dukes asks, you're quarantining with Steve Coogan, but you both have to be in character as Alan and Simon for the whole three months, which would include Steve wearing the wig and you wearing shirts with maps of the country on them. How long <laughs> do you think you could go without breaking character or who do you think would break first? Oh, right. What, sorry, I don't think we're going, I don't think we're going that long. What is the sort of punishment for breaking character? Um, it like if there's no if there's no real sort of tariff, I reckon we're probably breaking quite early. <laughs> yeah, pa Patrick hasn't introduced any punitive measures for breaking character, so. Uh... I, well, I feel like I can I can probably stay in character for longer in terms of there's there's not really much to stay in. He's, uh, he, he can sort of float around and it's all sort of fine, and it's more of a hassle for Steve. But then again, I feel like Steve um, Steve's got more you know, heavy artillery to draw on, draw on in terms of uh, how partridge he can become and remain. <laughs> uh, he's not, I mean, I don't want to lift the lid on him, and I'm sure you probably are aware of this anyway, but he doesn't stay in character on set. He's not a sort of Suchet Poirot type thing. But even so, it's kind of still, it's quite incessant, because although he doesn't break character, he obviously doesn't change out of his... Um, costume and makeup in between scenes mm. so if you sort of see him floating around a corridor or sitting on set he's partridge yeah i mean there's 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 something that armando said i think back when he was m more involved with the writing that the worst thing about writing partridge is having to spend that long in a room with alan you know his character hanging in the air i guess yeah that's exactly right he's a, he's he's a presence um 
So are you quite relieved yeah. when you finish rapping on a on an Alan project because you're like, oh, I get a break from this guy. Not Steve, obviously, but like the character of Alan. I'd say the with Mid Morning Matters that was quite that could be quite intense. I suppose the first series where you're not used to it and there's quite a lot of them. I, I think um, you're in all. You, you know, it's that you've got to remember it's it's hard enough anyway. But when you're when the actual nature of the shoot is that you're in a a very small radio, and it was a, we did shoot it in the first series at a you know, a, a sound studio. So actually, you are in a small room and you are in there with this uh, monster <laughs> and you just have these two... I mean, usually at least there's just someone else just sort of sharing the atmosphere and breathing the same air as you. There's like a boom operator and people moving cameras around and stuff like that. But with this one, they'll close the door and the door to a sound studio is famously soundproof and heavy. So this door kind of clicks shut and that is your working day. Just being in a room with, there's no two ways about it, Alan Partridge. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, it does fry your brain. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think... We we can sort of wrap up there. I guess this is this is uh, a chance. If there's anything that you specifically wanted to plug, or anything that you want people to be aware of, or what obviously we've spoken about Witchfinder, but is there anything else that you know for people to check out that you'd like? Because obviously, with no Edinburgh this year, I don't know if you're planning on going, but like, is there anything out there for people to to see you in, or that you'd like to promote? Well, Adam already said no more jockeys. <laughs> no more jockeys. No more jockeys. Um, what I love about No also, More Jockeys... Sorry, I've got... Uh, cool. Since I'm in my study, I do have a pack of cards. Oh, the poetical playing cards. Yeah, so I wouldn't mind, like... What I can do, actually... I've got a... Uh, oh, I don't know. I've got a jingle. If you like playing cards And you like poetry If you like things that look nice you like Tim Key, then it may just be that we have found the perfect thing for you. The lovely deck of playing cards with poems on them too. Tim Key's poetical playing cards. These are them. I, I don't know whether I can open them particularly, but I've got I've got an open pack here. But this is my designer really, you know, she she's an absolute fiend with the old uh, sort of waxy paper. And they're just uh they're fifty-two sort of playing cards with my poems on them. Beautifully designed by Emily Juniper. A lovely artifact. And those are available from it's available from um <laughs> just should be Amazon, shouldn't it? <laughs> uh, so it's available from uh her website, which is called utterandpress.co.uk. And uh, you know, she just sort of 
packages them beautifully and sends them out. I mean, I suppose usually when you ask someone what they want to plug, they're probably in a film. <laughs> <laughs> well tim this is the problem with being a polymath you see at yeah. the moment it's a it's a pack of playing cards it's been a previously it's been a book it's or an edinburgh show well, or a sound recording or a radio play there's something quite good about being a polymath in lockdown it's the chickens come home to roost slightly where you can sort of um move into a different realm of your polymathery yeah you can dust off your youtube game show and uh, <laughs> and, off, and off you run <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure it was meant to be a YouTube game show, but that's where we are. <laughs> mm. I mean, it seems like it's such a—it's just such a, a beautiful format. Was that? Is this? Is is no more jockeys as a game? Is that something that? Because you've obviously known the other two—the other two guys that you do it with for a very long time. Is that something that existed before any of you did kind of comedy, or, or is the concept for no more jockeys something that's come along the way? Right at the start, it was in—it was in 2002, and. Uh, me and Mark were writing a show together, I think, and uh, broke, you know, all that sort of stuff in a sort of hovel somewhere in London. And uh, we just started <laughs> naming names. I think I think it started because someone said, I, I, bet I've, I bet I could name a thousand famous people. And the other person said, right, I could probably name 10,000. <laughs> and the other person said, right, go on then. And then we sort of made a cup of tea and started naming... <laughs> <laughs> And then I think someone then started going, okay, look, this is insane. No more footballers. And so that was the sort of um, the the germ of it. And then we said, no, this is no more actors. And then the game had started. And um, we've always played it. And with Alex as well. And when me and Alex were, were touring and stuff. And um, then last year, me and Mark went to um, Tokyo together. And uh, it was... It was good fun. It was a real kind of, um, you know, reconnection. And we were just sort of floating around the streets of Tokyo playing that game. <laughs> and then lockdown happened. And we started it quite late in lockdown. But, yeah, Mark just sent an email saying, maybe we should play this game again over Zoom. And luckily we've got Alex in our ranks who can just go, I can sort that, I can make that all happen, you know, in terms of uh, getting it technically to work but it's quite funny because uh, not that he uh, there's another guy hi min who edits it who's fantastic but it's quite funny because i feel like we've thought about it a bit and you know you sometimes think maybe that's a game for radio four or something like that but it's been great doing it on youtube because it is the perfect marriage of that that format is perfect for it and we just i mean it's been a real highlight of of lockdown where we just meet up every Thursday night, late at night, and uh, the, just have those three screens. And when we first edited it, we put whoever's talking went big, and then, but we got rid of that because it's just kind of quite nice to have Mark saying some absolute garbage or whatever, and then me and Alex just sort of looking at each other. <laughs> what the <laughs> hell are you talking about? Yeah, so it's been great. It's been a yeah. real high. <clears throat> it's one of those formats that it feels it's so much fun as a youtube show i can i can see why it, it you know it originally was was a, a tv format as well but it also just feels i don't think i hope it's not faint praise to say that it feels like it could be one of the most enduring pub games of all time you know well, like we really like it when people you know come back to us and say and they, they start you know they start to in the comments underneath and stuff they like are saying yeah we play this now every week and and yeah that is really nice uh, uh, yeah it's 
I guess that's the point of it, really, is to sort of get people playing it and stuff like that. I, I mean, you know, we would we'd play it, you know, a lot, you know, but, you know, just not... <laughs> that's the thing. I feel like if the technology was there in lockdown to to do to to play that game but you couldn't record zoom then i think we still would have played it 12 weeks straight anyway definitely and then yeah it's uh, alex and hymin's uh genius to kind of cut it down and make it look like something that someone would potentially watch but yeah <laughs> it's been fun to do well uh, yeah it's been one of the unexpected treats of lockdown so uh, thanks very much for that that's very kind of you hmm. And, uh, and thanks very much for for joining us. I think we're we're about. The, I mean, we could we could talk forever. We haven't even touched on on Radio Four series and so on. But that's the danger of being a polymath. We can't talk <laughs> about it all. Um, so uh, thank you very much for joining us, Tim Key. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Tim. So there we go. That was our interview with Tim Key. Um, the original plan was actually to put that at the end of the current series of Oast House. But after the interview, um, as you've just heard, uh, was so good, we decided not to sit on it and let you guys hear it as soon as possible. Um, one thing that wasn't included in the chat, actually, is that um, after we finished recording, we uh, carried on chatting with Tim for about another 10, 10 or so minutes. And he actually revealed to us that he is a monkey tennis listener of sorts he listened to the podcast uh in its early incarnation sort of i think series one one series two um when he was traveling in asia japan specifically so uh, that was nice to hear that tim's actually uh, listened to the podcast so if you're listening now tim thank you very much for your time um yeah he said that he basically he was uh, when he was out in asia he was looking for a bit of quintessential britishness uh, or englishness which is why he ended up listening to the <laughs> monkey tennis podcast of all things uh, so yeah that's us as british as fish and chips <laughs> Uh, well, either way, yeah, it was a fantastic chat, and um, yeah, to have uh, an icon of Partridge on the sh- on the show was such a, a huge honour. So, a big, big thank you to Mr. Tim Key. Yeah, just to basically echo exactly that. Uh, that was a great interview. I mean, it was just genuinely a great thing to listen to. Very insightful, and yeah, just uh, great that Tim was so generous with his time with us as well. I think, I think Adam and Tom probably had over an hour with him in the end. So, uh, yeah genuinely lovely stuff um yes and thank you to so many of you that got in touch with your questions for tim in advance i'm afraid we didn't get through quite as many as we like because we did such a deep dive on his time as psychic simon but uh, thanks to everyone who got in touch uh, if you'd like to get in touch with a question for us or maybe even some kind of speculative future guest then uh, we're on instagram at monkey tennis pod twitter at the partridge pod facebook.com slash the partridge pod you can email the partridge pod at gmail.com or leave us a voice note to be featured in a future episode if it's good enough on 07923 Seven. That's the Monkey Tennis Hotline. Uh, if you like what you heard and uh, you enjoyed our chat with Tim or our other episodes so far, you can also shout us the price of a cup of coffee uh, at ko-fi.com slash monkey tennis. And we very much appreciate your contributions helping us bring Partridge to you now and forevermore. Uh, that's all for this week. So uh, thank you for listening. Thanks again to Tim Key for taking part. And uh, we will see you next time on Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. Thanks and goodbye. Bird it. And this is the beauty of podcasting, the freedom of the medium. Kukumpa. Monkey tennis. Bring, bring. Fireworks. Don't muck about. Trees are my pawn. Monkey tennis. Ready, steady, fuck off. Scratch me. Are you being served? Monkey tennis. Excuse me, your dog's taken my dog's stick. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Monkey tennis. Yep, absolutely. Yep, 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 absolutely. Generally, I think new ideas are bad. Monkey tennis. Why not consider chips? You must come and stay in the barn. Fuck off. 
Riddle me that, you nutters. Nothing refreshes like an ice-cold glass of milk. Nah. Monkey tennis? From the Oast House. Keep it down, love. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save 